morning. It's uh, great to be with you uh, again today. And hey, we've got a new series that we're starting uh, called Light in the Darkness. We are going to be starting off looking at uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel. And I'm uh, coming in on chapter one uh, called Preparation and Proving. And we're looking at Daniel and his three mates and how they were just such good examples for us, particularly us coming out of lockdown now a bit. Um, in how we can, again, we're in the world, but not of it, how we can influence, but not be absorbed into it in that kind of way. And that's what some of the things we're going to be looking at. Um, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. So says uh, Dickens in his The Beginning of A Tale of Two Cities. And I'm starting off looking at two cities that are talked about in the Bible. Uh, Babylon, which is a city that is made up of man's greatest achievements. And then we've got it in, in comparison to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem not only was a physical place, but where God dwelt, the center, really, of uh, Judah, in terms of where God's people were. But it also looked, in, the, in Revelations, we take it up, and it's actually a future heavenly city, uh, heavenly Jerusalem, coming down to earth uh, so it's signifying an, an eternity of being in this city. And um, we are living in one, and yet uh, our, our gaze and our hearts need to be connected to the other. Um, I think it's a great thing to be, in terms of discipleship, that we're looking for those that are in Edinburgh. How can we be living in Edinburgh, Babylon, uh, and actually still honouring God in all that we can do. Um, it's how to hold these two cities in tension, um, how to live in Babylon but not be fashioned by it. Um, now, it's a, lot of, it's a lot easier, actually, just to say, oh, well, okay, I'm not going to have any Christian friends. I'm just going to I'll, I'll go to church. I'll do I'll do that. I'll I'll sort of separate myself. I'm going to be in Babylon. um, But actually, I'm just going to have a a whole load of just Christian friends. I'm not going to have any others. Uh, And the the problem about that is it causes a separation and it causes a disjointedness. We we start lacking grace uh, for those that don't know God. Uh, we we need more love and understanding, and we get that by butting up against and being connected to those. Uh, so on the other hand, on the flip side of that, we can be so immersed that actually Babylon sort of seeps into us, and it, it becomes a point where it's very difficult to tell the difference. Um, are they really a child of God? Are they really um, a, a child of Jerusalem? Um, or have they just been absorbed into Babylon? So we need to learn how to do those two things. Um, Jesus said in John 17, um, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But my prayer is not that you will take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. This 
and I, I want that to be something that is echoing for us. Uh, for Daniel and his mates, this was such a true statement. Um, and um, I think, you know, these were young men um, who were actually intelligent young men. They were chosen because of that. Um, they uh, knew how to live as a, a life dedicated, uh, a devotion to God, um, living in a completely foreign culture. And um, I'm going to, we're going to be reading the passage now. I've actually asked my grandson Noah, who's uh, age 10, nearly 11, uh, to read it for us. So let's, let's just hear him. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every type of for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Along these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Baltashazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved to not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the god took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Great, thank you. No, that was really, really good. Um, and I'm going to be looking at three Ps 
Um, I'm hanging it on. And we're looking at participation, uh, peculiar and principled. So, first of all, participation. So it says that they were taught the language and literature of Babylon. They learned about the customs. They didn't just say, no, no, we're not having anything to do with that. No, they actually learned and they became really good and able to speak in to the situation because they understood the culture that they were in. And I think that is so, so important for us. I love the quote by Andrew McCulloch in his book, Global Humility, where he says about this, he says, proximity helps us appreciate complexity. It begets empathy. It compels us to take responsibility. Tearing down is easy, but proximity means we have to help to rebuild. Proximity prohibits simplistic solutions. It causes us to be invested emotionally in the issues. Proximity then uh, should be a priority. Mission that is not up close and personal is inadequate. I can remember when I first came to Edinburgh. It was, uh, I think, even though it was only two and a half hours away from Newcastle, where we had been for 24 years, there were certain little subtle differences. Some of them just nuances in uh, language. Um, uh, we would go to the fish and chip shop and uh, we had to learn how to ask for a fish supper, which hadn't been something I'd ever heard of asking for. Um, salt and vinegar weren't just automatically given. Um, there seemed to be other options, uh, a thing called sauce that you automatically think is going to be tomato, but you actually find out is actually something else. Um, there's all sorts of little little ways, little things that are different. Uh, I guess street names are, are quite, they're pronounced differently, uh, just as they were in the northeast of England, they were pronounced differently, but they're pronounced differently. You have to learn um, how to say them in order to not get lost around the city and find your way. So uh, they're just little things that I think help us to kind of find our ways um, in this city. And many of us have come from even uh, foreign countries where this isn't even your first language um, and you're learning how to adapt and how to take on uh, some of these things. It's about getting up and learning them quickly so that we can be good at it, so that we can be promoted, so that, um, and listen to this, um, what it says in verse 17, it says, uh, to these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, the king talked to them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters uh, in his whole kingdom. Uh, part of our responsibility is to seek to be the best in whatever it is that God's called us to, to excel in it. 
we need to not separate ourselves, but we need to immerse ourselves in that so that we learn and we, we are good and we have influence in our city. Point two, they were a peculiar people. Um, I'm taking this from the uh, King James Version of 1 Peter 2, 9, uh, that says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, or the NIV would say a special people, that you should declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Um, what it's saying by peculiar there is actually I've set you apart. I, you, you're not just ordinary in that. I've, set, I've chosen you and I've called you and you are mine. I bought you with a price and you need to remember that. We need to remember it when we're in our uh, city, in our Babylon uh, culture, that actually, no, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm a, I'm, he's chosen me personally. Uh, and there's something wonderful in that. Uh, we see uh, that for these four guys, uh, they, one of the first things that happens to them is they have a name change. So they had Hebrew names, but now they're going to be given Babylonian names. There is, in becoming part of this culture, uh, for them, there is a kind of trying to break down some of that uh, that identity that was always identifying them with being God's people. And that same kind of thing can happen to us. Uh, just listen to some of the wording that changes, and you, we... we don't necessarily kind of grasp it first off. Um, so Daniel, uh, which actually means God is my judge. So every time, Daniel, <clears throat> we actually have that said. And like, oh, God's my judge. Yes, that's what is being said. Every time I'm remembering, yeah, God is my judge. Not, not this person, God is my judge. Now it's replaced <laughs> with Belteshazzar, which means Balat Su Uzer, which may Bel or Marduk protect your life. So this uh, this Babylonian god. Uh, Michelle's was even worse. So Michelle is Hebrew name. Who is like God Jehovah? What a great thing. Every time his name said, who is like God Jehovah? But it's replaced with Meshach which means, who is like Aku, uh, the moon god? This kind of early social engineering uh, is subtle, but designed to kind of break down their identity. We don't really have our names changed in, in the culture in the 21st century that we live in, uh, but there are subtle adaptations that can happen, drip-fed through social media, uh, that undermines our identity in Christ, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, holy, devoted to him. The Babylon of our day doesn't call them gods, but they are certainly worshipped and used to fashion our behaviour and identity. Uh, Babylon says, it doesn't matter how many sexual encounters you have, as long as they are consensual. Jerusalem says, live devoted to Christ and his plans and his precepts in your life.
Make sure you keep Christ in the forefront of your thinking. You've been set apart. You uh, have been bought with a high price. We are not our own, but we're living for him. And we need to remember that all the time, that we're at work, with our neighbours, when we're just alone, when things come sweeping in and we start to kind of come under certain pressures, we need to remember, no, I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the King. He's chosen me. I'm special. I am a peculiar people. And then thirdly, principled, okay? Daniel and his friends, three friends, decided not to defile themselves, it says, with the royal food and wine. Um, He'd asked for special permission uh, to actually not have that diet, but actually to go onto a vegetable and water diet instead, instead of the strong drink and whatever food they were eating. Um, And what happened is that the overseer was concerned that uh, what would happen is that they would start looking weak and scrawny and then he would get into trouble for uh, not really looking after them. Uh, But uh, Daniel had a great idea and he said, look, okay, I understand that. So look, just try it out on us for 10 days. Give us the the fruit and veg and... Just see what happens, okay? And this is what it says, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men uh, who ate the royal food. Don't get me wrong. This is not about them turning veggie, okay? So don't mishear what's actually being said in the text. Uh, The issue is that Moses had handed down in the Torah, which we kind of read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that there were certain foods that were prohibited, certain animals. Um, Notice that none of them, none of this was vegetables. There weren't any vegetables that were prohibited, but there were uh, shellfish and pigs and horses uh, and vultures, okay, that you actually couldn't eat. Whereas the other heathen nations around them, it was actually fine uh, to eat those kind of things. And they uh, didn't really realize that. So, so Daniel and his mates were uh, honoring God by not eating these foodstuffs. In the New Testament, we actually see it changes quite a lot um, because it's, it's a new covenant. And we get this in Acts chapter 10 with Peter and his vision. He sees this kind of big sheet coming down, all these animals, and God basically saying, actually, now you can eat whatever you like. There's no prohibited foods anymore. Uh, What there is, however, is that all those that are in Christ um, have the spirit of the living God dwelling within them. Um, Paul says that we are like Uh, a a temple of God. So God comes and he wants to inhabit us, to dwell in us um, and draw close to us. So we need to look after our minds and our bodies. And we do need to be thinking, you know, what are we exposing ourselves to? So it's it's a slightly different way of kind of reading it. I have a lot of 
Uh, people ask me over the years have said, just Matthew, for goodness sake, give me a list of things that I can do or can't do. You know, can I go to the cinema? You know, what about a nightclub? You know, what about this? Just list. Can you list the films that are allowed and the ones that aren't allowed or the books or whatever it is? It's not like that. There isn't a do's and don'ts list. What there is, is that we have... uh, scripture but we also have the spirit of god that helps us to say what i'm doing here is i'm saying i don't want to offend this uh living god okay i'm thinking what pleases him that's what i'm thinking about uh when i'm looking at this uh on my computer screen does this please god or does it not you know is what i'm uh reading or uh what I'm getting involved in, uh, does it please God? Does it bring, does God want to dwell there more because he sees that actually I'm involving myself in that? Um, we are not our own, Paul says, uh, but God has purchased us with a very high price, um, His, the death of his own son. Um, therefore, we honour him. Honouring means saying no to a whole load of things uh, that those who don't know him can immerse themselves in regardless because they don't know any differently. But we do. I can remember when I worked uh, for social services for 12 years um, and trying to... Trying to make those decisions, which is hard. Um, what do I say to the uh, my colleagues that are next to me that are just full of swearing every two or three words and and speaking kind of profanities? Uh, do I do I say, look, please don't say that, you know, or or at least kind of curb it down a bit, um, or do I say nothing? How much do I talk about my faith um, and how much? When do I? When do I um, engage in that and when do I hold back from that? Um, we, you know, do I go to this party um, that is being held? I don't want to seem like I'm a prude. I don't want to just be, oh, I'm just the religious nut who doesn't want to mix with us. I, I don't want that to be the case. You know, that wasn't the case for Daniel and his friends. He was, he was there. He was amongst them. But at the same time, I want to honour God. And it's, it's holding those two things in tension that I think uh, is part of maturing in Christ. What we do on the outside does matter. OK, we can't kid ourselves. We can't somehow live with sort of two different personalities uh, within us. That isn't what God's calling us to. Um, he's called us to be examples ar- around the people around us. Uh, being a man or woman of God, of Jerusalem, uh, doesn't mean I can sort of let my body practice these things, but actually it's okay because in my heart I'm like this. That just makes me somewhat crazily schizophrenic. Um, Christ doesn't split us in two. He enables me to be light to a lost, dark world uh, without being absorbed by it. What are the customs and language that I should be learning? What is dishonouring to God? Those are those kind of tensions of those things that actually God wants us to learn. So... In, in conclusion, uh, as we kind of look towards the future of kind of coming somewhat out of lockdown, mixing a lot more with those who don't know him, 
what is it that God's trying to teach us? We do need to be light in the darkness. We do need to go into those places that are dark in order that we can bring light. Jesus said not only that he is light of the world, but that you are the light to the world. Our devotion to God shouldn't separate us uh, from bringing influence and butting up against, bringing that proximity that enables us to be able to speak into people's lives and to be connected to them. But remember this, we are a chosen race. We are set apart by God. And although in the world we tick by a, a, a different rhythm, God has put a new heart in us, his very own spirit that pulses to a different heartbeat than that that's in the world. God bless you. Have a great week.